let's get scratching. We got an explosive broadcast coming to you. Listen up. Sega games, just keep playing them. Sega! We're back. It's the Sega Bit Swing Report Show. Live. Get ready for Sega interviews and news. Hello and welcome to episode 99 of the Segabits Swingin' Report Show Live. Technically it's our third live show, but 99th Swingin' Report Show. And it's all happening on 9-9 at 9 p.m. Uh, that's about all the nines I've got in me. So without further ado, let's kick off the show celebrating the Sega Dreamcast's 22nd anniversary. I feel, I don't feel old. It feels like 22 years. I used to look back on the Sega Dreamcast. I'd look at the graphics and I'd be like, this is still modern. This looks cutting edge. And now I'm like, I'm looking at even like at stuff at like Shenmue and I'm like, man, I don't know. It does, it does look kind of old with those blocky guys. And they're just like standing off in the distance, like washing a window for 12 hours, and at the time we treated that like that was uh, like a life simulation. But um, yeah, speaking of life simulations, The Matrix had a trailer drop today. Uh, the, I guess you could call it prequel, prequel era Knights of the Old Republic's getting a remake, and the Dreamcast turned 22, and those are all uh, 1999 happenings, so I'm, I'm feeling 1999 today. Um, and feeling it with me is our special guest we have joining us, walking out of the green room right now, we have Big Elk. So let's bring him here. Hello. Good to be here. I just realized <laughs> there's a lot of 1999 stuff going on. I, I didn't even think about that. That's cool. So I, you don't have to reveal it, but were you around during 1999? Yes, I was born 10 years prior, actually exactly one week before the Genesis launched in North America. Nice. Uh, so I was totally aware of the uh, the Dreamcast. I, unfortunately, uh, I could not have one at the time. Uh, my parents, they put me, they put their foot down on the, the, uh, the Dreamcast and the Saturn, actually. Couldn't have uh -huh. either. I got, I got a Dreamcast now, actually. But, yeah. Yeah, I was totally in tune with what was going on with the uh, the Dreamcast on nine nine ninety nine. The easiest date to remember in retro <laughs> gaming history. Yeah, I know what, and it's nine 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 nine. Now, doesn't the original PlayStation share that date? I, correct me if I'm wrong. As a matter of fact, it does. In fact, uh, I just realized uh, I got so excited for the Dreamcast. Uh, I was told we'd be talking about Final Fantasy VIII today, because <laughs> this is also the 22nd anniversary of that. Oh my god, time does fly. Yeah, uh, as far as me, um, when I was around for the Dreamcast, I was, gosh, was I 14 going on 15? That's gotta be it, I think. And um, it was just prior, like a year prior to us making a uh, I mean, relatively big move. We moved an hour and a half south from where I live, but that's that's pretty big when you're a teenager and don't have, you know, a car. 
So I left a lot of friends behind, but I took the Dreamcast with me. And to be quite honest, like it was the online gameplay of like Fantasy Star Online that kept me connected to some of my best friends who I left after my freshman year of high school. And that was, I, I mean, the Dreamcast is just like a special place in my heart because of that, but also because it was really the first Sega console that I bought uh, with my own money, actually twice. Um, on past shows, I've told the story where I was, I, I must have had the Dreamcast for maybe six months or, or seven months, not long, and I was playing Fantasy Star Online, and there was a thunderstorm and like a circuit blew or something, and it killed my Dreamcast. And if if you remember, PSO was tied to your hardware. So I don't know how I, what I did, I must have had the uh, the disc code applied to my new console and I had to start over from scratch. I had to rebuild my girl uh, in PSO. Um, I always play as, as females in PSO. Don't tell me why. Um, Gosh, and that's a crying shame. <laughs> I love the I love the Who's. We always called them the Huna Whirls. Um, I'm a Huna Whirl guy, but <laughs> I, I like their little close combat, combat things. I like the fact that you're like looking at them from behind for like ninety percent of the game. Anyway, I don't want to get nasty. Um, so I got a second Dreamcast, and it was used, and I've had that one ever since. I actually put it in a clear shell. If you remember, they sold, like, bootleg clear shells um, that now sell for hundreds. Like, yellow, clear yellow is hot, hot, hot. If you're in the, like, Dreamcast collecting scene, everyone wants the clear yellow. I call it the piss yellow, but whatever. If people like that, they do. Um, I didn't I completely... know about that. I you didn't? I know shell... Yeah, no, I knew, I know shells like that just recently launched for the Genesis, the Super Nintendo, and the PC Engine, Mm -hmm. but I had no idea anyone had been doing something like that for Dreamcast years ago. Yeah, believe it or not, and I think it's coming back. I think if we're seeing Genesis now, we're going to see new Dreamcast shells, and then all those people hoarding their colored shells from like 2000 are just going to freak out. Um... I completely skipped over it, though. Is there anything you want to, like, tell people, uh, like, where to find you online, what you do? I know you used to do a podcast, but right now you are not working on that. So, like, what, what's – outside um, of, like, being right. on Twitter um, and hanging out on the Discord sometimes, what, what are you all about? Well, Sega Bits fans might remember I was on the Lucky Hit podcast with some f- some of my boys from uh, England, like mm-hmm. uh, the Gagaman and Murray mm-hmm. Curry. Those are fine people. Uh, that podcast has been concluded. Um, they they said there was going to be a 100th episode they would cap off the series on. Uh, unfortunately, that's not going to happen. I'm not really <laughs> allowed to talk about why. Uh, as for my own stuff, uh, I had a YouTube channel, which is still up, called Elk Plays and Paints, but I wouldn't get too excited. Because I have not actually made a video in quite some time, and um, uh, I want to do more with the channel, but right now I'm having a hard time getting that off the ground. I got Mm -hmm. other things that unfortunately took priority, so if you want to subscribe, you're more than welcome to, but like, I'm not going to tell you to subscribe because (laughs) when I got nothing to sweeten the pot with. Right. Although it's free free to subscribe. It's not like... The Sagabits Patreon, which you can, <laughs> which you can, uh, yeah. Any, also, anyone watching um, can. But 
Uh, I'm also an illustrator. That's why my name is Elk Plays and Paints, because I mm-hmm. wanted to do some uh, painting videos for the channel. Um, I'm still drawing, but um, uh, most of the stuff I do now, I would not recommend you show to your parents or your children. <laughs> so I'm not really sure how to plug that yet. I don't even think I should. But, um, yeah. Um if you're if you're really more interested in me after this, I'll let you. I'll let everyone in the uh, Sega Podcast Discord, uh, Sega Sega Bits Discord. Sorry, mm-hmm. I'll let them know when I have something to share. Sounds good. And speaking of sharing, I actually wanted to do a little show and tell here before we get into the main event. So, um, I know you brought something. So why don't you show this off? Uh, it's a fun little piece. Um, brings back a lot of memories for me. So tell the folks uh, who can't see, like the people without eyes or the people listening, what you are holding up right now. This is issue, is it zero or one? Uh, It's issue one of Mm -hmm. the official Dreamcast magazine. This is how I first learned about the Dreamcast, and it's the only issue of this magazine I ever had. In fact, I don't know how, but I somehow wound up with two copies of it. (laughs) <laughs> and uh you know what i have something else i can show share with you i almost forgot about it but it's right next to me i'll go get it okay so uh as he gets it we have arthur lee brown with a comment saying my dreamcast broke when my cousin dropped it <laughs> okay um i got one other thing uh not really related to the launch but uh just ah. to show people i'm still collecting for dreamcast uh this is Xeno Cider. It's a new indie Dreamcast release, which I believe came out late last year, actually. Mm-hmm. I actually pre-ordered this years ago and uh, completely forgot about that. And then right. they sent, and then they uh, they finally mailed it to me. Well, at least they mailed it to you, unlike Elysian Shadows. But uh, yeah, Xeno Cider, it's, it's, it makes me think... So, like it makes me think of a joke I just made up. So, what do the creatures in the movie Alien uh, enjoy drinking when they go out for the fall apple picking? Apple Zeno cider. No, Zeno cider. Yeah, Zeno cider. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, I was a subscriber to the official Dreamcast magazine. That is what I think kind of. Not only made me more of a hardcore fan of the Dreamcast, but kept me going as a fan. Because what I love about the official Dreamcast magazine is unlike um, Sega Visions, which people talk a lot of... I mean, I don't talk about it too much, not as much as Nintendo Power, but I always felt like Sega Visions was not that great of a magazine because it was from... It it was an internal magazine from Sega, so it was really just like an advertising piece. Um now, whereas I know official... what you mean, I yeah. I used to sorry I used to subscribe to the uh, the official U.S. PlayStation magazine, mm-hmm. and I always liked that magazine. But that was also a bit of an advertising piece. I'm gonna tell you right now because I read I reread a few old issues of it just recently, right? And that and like even then they even talked about like other things outside of PlayStation. Like they did music reviews, and then when the PlayStation Two was coming out. They started talking about DVD movies as well. And not just like Sony Pictures DVDs. They talked about all kinds of DVDs. Oh my god. I remember when they would put plays on PlayStation 2 stickers on DVDs. Like, yeah, they all do. 
You know, you could put plays oh. on Sega Dreamcast stickers on every audio CD. But yeah, the, the, the official oh, Dreamcast that, magazine. Right. They what did I do that. They did. What I love about it, or what I loved about it, it, it ended after twelve issues, was that it was it was licensed. Um, but they gave the editorial team uh, like premier access, but they never really, I never got the vibe that they told them, Hey, if you write negatively, we're going to pull your access or we're going to revoke it. So it seems like they really, they writ the official dreamcast magazine wrote very fairly about the Sega dreamcast. Um, but you never would read an article where they would say like, I don't know why Sega's doing this or, or here's a terrible decision they're making. Instead, because they had the access, they would say, well, Sega's making this decision that we believe might be kind of bad, but we reached out to them and here's what they told us. So it's it's always like that next level of journalism that you got from them. Uh, uh, I believe it was Simon Cox, Francesca Reyes, just a fantastic editorial team who really went on to kind of, in the early days of Segabits, be friends to the site Um George and I, on the 50th episode of Swing and Report Show, uh, we had a reunion of the editor-in-chief and one of the head writers of the magazine, and it was really the first time they spoke in years. They got really in-depth with how the magazine functioned, how they worked with Sega. They revealed how what they would have reviewed, um, some games that they never got to, things like that. So that's definitely a must-listen if you're a Dreamcast fan. And I have nothing but great memories of... Um, official Dreamcast magazine. And I think on a future Sega Talk, maybe the next one after the one I do with George, I don't know. I, I really want to do the demo discs. And that sounds weird, but there is so much fun and bizarre content in those that you can't get anywhere else unless you're you know, burning discs or something like that. Um, so let me get to my show and tell. And this is how high tech it is over here. We're going to switch to camera two. There we go. Camera two. So as I shift over, uh, so I've got a few things over here. First up, I have an issue of Game Fan Magazine that I got after um, just a few days ago, actually. One of those uh, like, like fan Twitter accounts that just posts magazine scans, they shared this. I immediately jumped on eBay, put a reminder. It popped up like three or four days ago, and they shipped it to me. It just arrived. This is awesome. Like I just, I love the art. Um, I love when magazines really try to emulate. Here. What's that? You're really hyping us up here. Well, I mean, it's it's. I mean, if you if you can't see it at home, it's basically the cover art to Knuckles Chaotix 32X. Um, there's tons Ooh. of purple on the cover, purple and green, which just looks so retro. I love it. And then it's got the the character from Game Fan, which is like a TV head guy with muscles standing in the background. But it's a recreation of the title screen in like airbrushed art. And inside there is actually a very lengthy like 32x section. And there's I don't know if this is like original art, but it's like this really wild Knuckles who almost looks like he's from Sonic Adventure, where it's like. If, if you remember when Shadow was first being revealed, they kind of put the sprite in, like... Or not the sprite, the render in, like, Shadow. And it just looks like a very dark Knuckles. It's kind of cool. And then there's also Eggman art, which I'll uh, show in front of the camera here, too. Where he's, like, doing a, a peace move. And I've never seen this art before. I think I've seen that one. These might be European art. I'm not sure. But that was just a cool thing. And then this... 
I don't want to like, you know, take up the entire show, but this is kind of cool. So this is a box of Sega Genesis games that I got from a friend of mine who owns a bar bar in downtown Chicago. That's where we met, and he gave me like all of his childhood games just for free. So I've got John Madden Football '92. This is my first time looking at these. I've got NHL '96, lots of sports games. Um, FIFA '96, soccer. Oh boy, kids! It's Pat Riley basketball. And then, oh my God, Pat Riley! Yeah, right. Madden '94. I know who so, that is. It, what What's kind of fun about this though is I would never buy these, and so it's actually kind of cool to receive a bunch of sports games for free because you know, like NHL '94. But then. What I'm seeing here is, you know, like World Championship Soccer. Okay, we're getting into the sports stuff, but now we're moving out of it because look what's in there. We got some real gems. We have Truxton, which, and I'm not going to like be all like, oh, this is rare, but oh, this is rare. Um, Then we've got a classic Sonic 2. This would be my second or third copy I own of the game. Uh, We have Miss Pac-Man, and then we've got a classic. We have Columns. And then, I'm kind of running out of room on the table here, taking everything out, Maximum Carnage. And then finally, I think this is finally, Pitfall. And then, oh man, oh, and then Altered Beast. And I think he got this packed in with the console because inside is actually his original Genesis. I'm not going to take it out, but it's like... And then I got this like third-party Naki pad. So it's just, it's always... A treat to not only like receive a little gift from someone like that, but then to also kind of get a look at their childhood just by taking a look at the 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 lineup they get. I mean, obviously a sports fan, but then you know, like what kid at the, in the era would not want like Maximum Carnage? You know, I so, remember I wanted Maximum Carnage. Not so much today, though. But like that's well, another one though. That's another of those games where I, even if I wanted it, I couldn't really have it as a kid. Red also, the cover though. art kind of, the cover art kind of, I thought that was a bit uh, scary at the time. <laughs> well, I was kind of this, a pansy when I was a little they're kid. They're gonna make them. They, they have the movie coming out, right? Like Let There Be Carnage or whatever. I don't know. Um, oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> so, um, but now let's get into the main event. So I'm gonna switch us over to a uh, slideshow view. <laughs> so you sent me this image, um, and I'll bring it up here on the... Uh... It says, get in, loser. We're going get to in, cast loser. some dreams. We're going to cast <laughs> some dreams. Yeah, this is, a, this, is a, this is a meme from my personal collection on my uh, computer. I think I discovered that two years ago, and I just like to bring it up every time the uh, the Dreamcast anniversary comes up in any yeah. region. It's it's and so it's that's, cool a, that's the only reason I wanted you to show it to people. <laughs> well, they drove this like mobile assault vehicle around the country too, showing the Dreamcast off. I think it appeared at events with like Fred Durst. Um, yeah, was actually uh, Fred Durst and uh, Limp Bizkit. We all know they were repping the Dreamcast back then, weren't they? Absolutely, and um, there was a little uh, Twitter exchange between Segabits and some other account where uh, The Rock has promoted every console of like that era. He was 
promoting Xbox, Dreamcast, PS2, GameCube. Like he's he's such a whore. I don't know. Oh um, yeah, I actually didn't know that. <laughs> I remember him at the Xbox uh, conference. Yeah, and I remember seeing him at a bunch of um, in a bunch of print ads for wrestling games, whichever wrestling league he was in. I forget. I think it was just WWF. I'll be honest, um, I never watched wrestling as a kid. I never understood it. I was like, oh, it's I, fake? Well, then why am I watching it? I watched it in the early to mid-90s, and I kind of fell out of it after that. I kind of <laughs> want to get back into it again now that uh, people are getting so hyped over uh, AEW, especially when, um, shoot, what's his name? Uh, CM Punk. CM Punk mm. joined them. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of starting to feel the the excitement for AEW even though I haven't even watched a single AEW event yet. Well, the great thing is is there are wrestling games on the Dreamcast, and they're actually pretty fun, and there's some really wild there are. character customizations. I actually, um, yeah. I actually remember I played uh, the arcade version of WWF Attitude, I think it mm-hmm. was. I remember that was a Dreamcast game, and then Sega actually made an arcade version for their Naomi hardware. Yeah, it's wild. But, hey, wrestling, it's big. And we have Daniel Matthew here in the comments asking a question. He says, uh, hey, I have a question. Of course you do. Do you have Sonic Adventure 1 and Sonic Adventure 2? Well, funny you should ask because my next slide is actually a photo I just took of my Dreamcast shelf. So, By the way, um, I can't actually see the YouTube video, so... I didn't know you were taking slides earlier when I joked about you hyping up that magazine. So uh, <laughs> I just now realized that's what you're doing because uh, you did it on the last video. So I'm sorry about that. No, no, it's not a problem. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's this this software is not 100% perfect, but it's, hey, the viewers at home are loving it. Um, so this photo I took, I actually just took this. This is my Dreamcast collection. It has not actually grown in a number of years. Um, as as viewers can see here, I have on the top shelf my Japanese titles, my European titles. It's kind of being blocked by some uh, Shenmue and Space Channel 5 VR packaging from limited run games. But then I, I actually, at one point, I from seeing other collections, I took my white label games and my black label games and I separated them and it looks so much better. Because you get, not only do you kind of get a, a sense of what the early and the later games are, but it just looks nicer. Um, after that, I have the orange label, which were the Sega All-Stars releases, which, yeah, that's, uh, I think, one of the earlier uses of that term before it became like a iToy. That was Superstars. And then it became the All-Stars Racing series. And then on the bottom shelf, I have a lot of indie titles. And then some Nintendo DS stuff, but let's ignore that. Um, you know what I think is amazing about Dreamcast? Mm-hmm. This uh, this system was only on the market, at least in North America, for two years. Mm-hmm. And in that time, I'm actually kind of amazed that they actually had a period where they changed the packaging and they had like a greatest hits thing for their best-selling games when it they got was... reprinted. Yeah, but it was so. It was so. I think it was really a reaction to PlayStation Two. Um, it's possible. You know what? Maybe that's it. I hadn't thought of that. Because right. like I'm remembering most other consoles that did this. When the Genesis went from the grid to the uh, the red stripe on the left, 
Right. That took them, I think, three or four years to do that. Yes. And it took Nintendo... When Nintendo does their uh, uh, Player's Choice series, mm-hmm. they usually wait until the console's on its way out before they start introducing that. Yeah, And it then was... sometimes they even do games under that label after the successor to that console is already out. So, like, when the Wii U was already out, that's when they started doing a Player's Choice re-release of some Wii games, like Super <laughs> Mario Galaxy 2. Right, yeah, and it's... I mean, I... I... I kind of like when it's just uniform throughout the entire life of the console. And for something like the Dreamcast, where it was a short, I guess, 18 months in the U.S., it is kind of sudden to to change that. Um, But I understand they were trying to make it look a little uh, more adult with the PlayStation 2. I also prefer the black label. I think it looks classier. I think the, Mm. the white label, I don't like... The like bevel and emboss, bevel and embossed little like triangle they did. I think it looks dated with the drop shadow. Um, I actually not huge... prefer that. Oh, you but, do? You know? Yeah. But we we but, can't you know, agree it's on apples everything. and oranges, right? <laughs> um, I do have a question here from Islander Soda in the comments. Is the son? Oh, the Sonic Adventure cover is awesome. Um, but then what was also said was, where did that Shenmue three case come from? That was from the limited run games. Um, like box and it's just a case but it looks like obviously a Dreamcast case um, for Shenmue 3 and they did it again with Space Channel 5 VR and so whenever they do that you know they've got my money Uh, the Grandia in the picture is actually what is used what was used at like EB Games on the shelf so that they wouldn't have the actual game out there and off camera you can kind of see it up in the corner is a massive Sonic Shuffle box that's like the size of a pizza box. And I don't know where they put these things, but I remember when the Dreamcast was on the way out, I asked this guy at the store, like, hey, can I can I have that? And he was like, yeah, sure. Um, oh, uh, I'll do one more question here. Daniel Matthews says, what do you think is better, SA1 or SA2? I like them both. I think, I can't really pick one over the other, but if you were to, like, Hold me at like light gun point. Um, I would say Sonic Adventure One because it's more fun to like goof around in after you complete the main game. Um, so without further ado, now let's mm-hmm. get into the main event. So what I plan to do on this uh, this show is to have us go through and name our top five um, moments, memories, games, and then combined it would be a top ten. Now, uh, for those who are longtime watchers, uh, George may or may not join us. He has his own five that he might run through at the end. Um, But if he doesn't, we'll keep this at ten. It could be fifteen. I don't know. But, you know, it's it's just a fun little way to look back on the days of yours. So first off, we're going to kick off with my number one, and then we'll jump over to you, Elk, and we can uh, do a little ping pong back and forth. So for me, this is this is a weird one. So you might look at this and go, oh, you remember the, the controller. Well, actually, for me, my Dreamcast launch memory was trying to figure out how the Dreamcast worked. Because I was a kid going from the Genesis, which was a console that Tom Kalinske rightfully so, said, you know, has a long shelf life and could have been there much longer without the Saturn coming out. 
So I went from the Saturn to the Dreamcast. So for me, I was like going from cartridge to disc, memory cards, uh, internet cables. Like I was 14 at the time. I didn't really understand all this stuff. So when I went to the store and got my Dreamcast, I got the Dreamcast and I went home. Played Sonic Adventure. How do I save this thing? I don't know. Oh, you need a memory card? I thought it saved it inside. Like there has to be memory inside. This thing's, you know, like it's pretty heavy. No. So I had to run back to the store, get a memory card, but they were kind of difficult to come across. So I really, I went a good week without a memory card playing Sonic Adventure and I play it up to a point where I could play no more, turn it off. It it was a sad state. Um, I can't imagine going through that. (laughs) I I grew up with, I grew up with the PlayStation one. So I always, I always somehow understood that, um, well, I guess the Saturn did this differently, but like with disc-based consoles, they couldn't save on the uh, the system or or the the the, the, the disc. So mm-hmm. like I was used to having to get memory cards, and even the Nintendo sixty four needed that for some games. But yeah, um, you know, I never really thought about that. Where um, at the time it was a new concept, and yet I was able to understand it immediately. But like, not everyone was uh, able to get that, were they? No, like in your well, case, you had to find out the hard way. As evidence, yeah, and it, it's and you make a great point there too because even if I was a Saturn owner, I would have thought that there was some internal memory, you know, that I could I could save my Dreamcast files somehow. Um, you could you'd be forgiven for thinking that if you did have a Saturn growing up, I suppose. <laughs> Or even a uh, Sega CD. I think the Sega CD did that too. Well, yeah, it did. And I had I had friends who owned Sega CDs, and I think I might have had a friend who owned a Saturn. So right there, I would see that there was a save system going on inside the console. So just, and honestly, looking back, I I totally think Sega could have built the equivalent of like one VMU at the very least inside. They could have. They could. I'm but guessing they didn't it was because... a cost cutting. I'm guessing it was a cost-cutting is- uh, issue, yeah. Or it was a like, money-making already... issue. <laughs> yeah, or that too. Because like they had to make sure they got the modem in there so like everyone could connect online, even if the online service wasn't immediately available in September of that year. Right. Yeah. So or what... like, there were no games that... Well, I guess Sonic Adventure did. I'm rambling at this point. No, that's, that's totally cool. I want to hear your... Your pick. So what's your number... I guess we'll call this number two. Elk number one, ten number two. Okay, so um, you talked about a memory, so uh, I have a memory. Uh, like I said, uh, I didn't have a Dreamcast uh, back then. Um, I wanted one really badly, just like I wanted a Saturn. Um, my parents, at the time, they were... to. I mean, they were kind of against Sega for some reason, to a point... Like, they got me a Game Gear, they got me a a few Sega games on PC, and at one point they they did actually buy me a Genesis, but for some strange reason they couldn't connect the Genesis to the TV, so then they sent it back to the store along with all the games the very next day, and I cried the whole night. <laughs> I was so sad. <laughs> uh, I'm guessing... Uh, I like to think sometimes that maybe they foresaw the eventual collapse of the Saturn and the Dreamcast and decided neither was worth investing money in in the long run. Right. Recently, I remembered what happened with that Genesis, and I thought maybe they somehow 
believe that the Sega was harder to hook up than Nintendo or PlayStation because they had no they had no trouble connecting my other consoles to the TV and I was a little kid so I didn't know how this worked yet so I don't know what went wrong right but uh, yeah so I could I could only look at Dreamcast from the outside in at the time but I I do have some very interesting memories so like before the Dreamcast came out I remember Mm -hmm. I went to an electronic boutique store once and I don't know how long ago this was before the launch of the Dreamcast. I just know this was before. They were demoing a Japanese Dreamcast along with a Japanese version of Sonic Adventure and Marvel vs. Capcom. So there was a store employee a, a store employee who was walking me through a bit of Sonic Adventure. I was playing through Sonic Story. I got through um, I got through the Emerald Coast level. So I got to experience, um, I got to play through that whole thing. That was when my like my jaw hit the floor when I saw the uh, oh the whale chase. Everyone knows yeah. that. Yeah. And uh, near the end, where he's running along that last stretch to where Tails is, where all the dolphins jump out of the air. And I remember like I remember being so amazed by that. And then at the same time, the cutscene that came right after. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like floored in like the opposite way by seeing how uh, bizarre the character animations were. I, yeah. I remember when uh, Tails shows Sonic the Chaos Emerald, and he's like, "Whoa, that's a Chaos Emerald!" <laughs> I just burst out laughing, right. especially because this they especially because this was the Japanese version, so I didn't actually know what they were talking about. And then like right after that. Uh, I got to play up to the Egg Hornet boss that comes afterwards when you're supposed to go to the Mystic Ruins. You find uh, Eggman there, and then he shows up in his robot. So I beat that, and then I saw Chaos in the cutscene that comes right after. So he yeah. he tosses the Chaos Emerald at Chaos. He gets bigger, and <laughs> like I was, and and again, this is Japanese, so I don't actually know what's going on. Right. But like I was like so mystified by this new character that I'd never seen before, Chaos. Um, and it just made me more and more curious about the about the game moving forward because there was a whole air of mystery that really caught my attention. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, of course, I played uh, Marvel vs. Capcom. Not mm-hmm. much to say about that one, but uh, I just remember it. Since this was the Japanese version, Mega Man was called Rockman. And, like, I remember being confused and the employee just telling me that's what they call Mega Man in Japan. <laughs> so I thought, oh, okay, all right, whatever. And then War Machine. I'd never heard of War Machine at at the time, but mm-hmm. he looked like Iron Man, so I just, I assumed Japan called Iron Man War Machine for some reason. <laughs> I'd have to say, um, going back to Sonic Adventure, and I'm actually going to share number three for me uh, in R10 is Sonic Adventure. Um, that is a game I have very fond memories of. I think it's really the last Sonic game I played where, where, like you said, you play that first level and you're just like, jaw on the floor, wow. You're like, look at this beach, I can run around. This whale, this is insane. And there were those weird little quirks, like I, like you are mentioning when, um, when Eggman throws the... The Chaos Emerald, and I don't remember the animation exactly, but if you're if you're watching us on camera, he's like 
it's not even that. It's like it kind of floats out of his. It's. it's yeah, I think he doesn't even move his hand like he's tossing it anywhere. If I'm remembering this correctly, right? It's like this. It's like it just kind of goes. He's like ah, but there's something really special there because I mean, sure the the graphics like the the animation was not really up to par because if you remember Toy Story was 1995 so it's not like this is like eye-popping 3D graphics when it came to the cutscenes but right yeah, and it's just... like I remember and I remember some call me Johnny talked about this before but like the mm-hmm. Crash Bandicoot games even that even though that even though the Dreamcast was twice as powerful as the PlayStation uh Crash Bandicoot and Spiral of the Dragon, those games had, uh, they had much more uh, animation going on in their cutscenes. Like, they had right. mouths on the characters moving in ways that made sense. They were actually able to contort the faces in ways that showed genuine emotion when needed. And Sonic Adventure couldn't do that. Like, I mean, the rest of the game was still amazing, so, like, the cutscenes were whatever. <laughs> it's fun yeah, to so laugh I mean- at, at least. I mean, yeah, and there there are funny moments, but at the same time, you're also you were seeing a two D character for the first time in three D talking, interacting. You were getting so much more through the cutscenes than you really did on the Genesis. And this is, you know, during a time when that was fun and new. Now we're at a point where when Sonic Mania came out, people were like, "Oh my God, this is so cool!" Cutscenes without dialogue. Wow, how novel. Um, you know, you bring I, up a good point, because yeah. I remember feeling that same way seeing Sonic in Sonic Adventure for the first time, as I did when I saw Super Mario 64 for the first time. Because um, that game didn't really have cutscenes, I guess. But just just the novelty of finally seeing Mario in full 3D, and like all the different moves that you could do with him, that, that was like... that was beyond mind-boggling at the time also kind of scary because i was still getting (laughs) used to 3d so everything in that game terrified me at the time i thankfully i got over that by the time sonic adventure dropped so uh, what is your next memory kicking it back to you for number four game memory anything all right so um uh, unfortunately, I don't have too many memories of the Dreamcast back when it was still commercially relevant. Mm-hmm. But I do have a really interesting memory of how I got my Dreamcast eventually. So, I think you reported this. You remember back in 2009 when ThinkGeek.com came across a whole warehouse chock full of Dreamcast units that never made it into retail? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for those who don't know, you you're probably not that familiar with ThinkGeek.com anyway, because ever since they were bought out by GameStop, they they uh, kind of fell out of the limelight a bit. But uh, basically, at the time, they were an online retailer with a bunch of geek-related novelties. Mm-hmm. And at some point in that year, 2009, they did come across a warehouse full of Dreamcast units. I don't know how. But when that happened, they sold each one on their website for 99 bucks each. Wow. And I bought one of them. <laughs> so um, you en- you end up with a random bundle when you bought them. You just pick between a white Dreamcast and a black Dreamcast. And in North America, the only black one we had was the Sega Sports one, so I went with the white one. And I ended up with a Sega Sports bundle 
which included NFL, NBA, and World Series Baseball 2K, mm-hmm. all of which I've never actually opened. <laughs> so no, <laughs> no, no disrespect to uh, anyone who loves those games because I know they were they were exceptional sports games. But uh, that's not why I got my Dreamcast, and I'm pretty sure I'm not in the minority there anyway. Or, yeah, uh, I got my, I got minority right. So yeah, um, the way I got my Dreamcast was uh, exceptionally cool. Because even if I, even though I missed out on it when it first came out, I still got to have that experience of getting a brand new Dreamcast, and then uh, taking it out of the box, having everything there. And then I got, and this time, I actually knew how game systems hooked up to TVs, so I could actually hook it up to uh, on my own this time. Mm-hmm. I was actually so excited that I filmed a video of it, which I uploaded to YouTube, and it is actually still there. I used to have another channel called Elk Eight Ten, uh, Elk Eight Hundred and Ten, which uh, so if you're curious, you can actually go there. And you can check my video where I opened the Dreamcast. Unfortunately, <clears throat> I was still learning video editing at the time, and I found this cell shading filter uh, in my in Sony Vegas. So I did the whole video in that cell shaded filter, it, just because you know Jet Set Radio looked like that, and right. it looks it looks ugly as hell when I remember <laughs> it, but. Thankfully, I actually found the original camera I used, which had all the raw video footage. So maybe one of these days I'll remake that video just to have it without the uh, the ugly cell shading filter. Go for it. But yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's a, that's great. I yeah, mean, that's... even if even if you weren't, it wasn't happening like at at the time. It's still really cool that you have you were given that memory years later. Um, I mean, I, I wish I could have had that with, like, the Saturn, which I believe I picked up in 99, uh, used. I don't really have any memory outside of just buying it used and taking it home and plugging it in. You know, there was no real unboxing and unveiling and seeing all those little loose papers. Those are so fun. Um, for me, for for my next pick, number five, it's a little... It's, it's a little. It's little. So let's see how little it is. So we've got Vern Troyer. And I bring this up because Vern Troyer, uh, a little person actor who passed away, I, I think, like maybe two or three years ago. Um, he Aww. played Mini-Me in the Austin Powers movies. I, I don't know why, but he was there for both the um, American and European Dreamcast launch. So Sega saw no fit not, not only... He, they must have flown him out then because... You know, I mean, I, I get like the American one. It might have been in L.A. or New York where he was at the time. So it was very easy to get these celebrities. Now, I mean, Sega, they've always made interesting, sometimes strange, sometimes bad choices when it comes to people appearing at console launches. Infamously, um, the former president was at the Genesis launch, which I'm sure Tom Kalinske now greatly wishes never happened. But he wasn't CEO at the time. So what can he do? Um, but like Vern Troyer, he was there. He must have been a gamer. He must have enjoyed it. He loved his wine because a lot of the pictures out there are him just drinking uh, and hanging out and playing Dreamcast. But 
uh, I don't know. I just think, like, what a legend to <laughs> to claim the fame of being at not one but two Dreamcast launches. I don't think that many people can claim that. And he seems like a fan. Like, maybe there was a paycheck involved, but he he looks to be having fun. I love the photo of the... I, I believe that's another celebrity uh, selling what was probably the first Dreamcast of the night to this, this guy who's just, like, losing it. What do you think I of that? I do remember <laughs> Vern Troyer being quite a gamer, so I'm pretty sure he had a he definitely had a legitimate love for the Dreamcast and whatever you, uh, whatever other games he was shilling, if any. Well, you know, uh, Gary Coleman loved video gaming too, and he was really oh, yeah. into I think N64. Um, he was actually selling a lot of his gaming stuff on eBay. Uh, uh, a couple of years before he passed away, probably to raise money for like hospital bills or whatever he had going on. Um, but I also remember in downtown Chicago at the Museum of Broadcast uh, Radio and Broadcast Communications, they had uh, Gary Coleman's like N64 on display, <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh, okay, that's interesting. But I, what I really wanted, and I almost bid on it. I don't know if it was it was another console or that same one. But it was like the memory cards were there. So if you can imagine, you could buy like a role-playing game and pick up from a save file that Gary Coleman had. And it might say Gary. I don't know. I think that's kind of fun. Oh, <laughs> that's interesting. You know, I remember there were, a lot of, uh, there were a lot of rappers who also used to love the Dreamcast. Yes. And then after, and then uh, a lot of them uh, latched onto the PlayStation 2, of course. So like, I remember a ludicrous song where he, brought up the playstation 2 i don't know, know if was? they brought up i don't know if any of them brought up dreamcast in their music mm. but like i remember there was a cribs episode where another rapper i forget who he uh he was showing off this home theater setup he's got and like he had the dreamcast he was playing one of the nfl 2k games on it yes but i yeah i remember he said it, it ain't no home if you ain't got dreamcast which i 100 percent agree with <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you know how we, you uh-huh. know how there's a photo of uh, Tupac and Suge Knight playing Sonic Two. Yeah, I honestly would not be surprised if there was a photo of like Eminem or and Dre or DMX playing like Soul Calibur or something. And uh, in our comments, we have Gaming with True commenting, and this is what was at kind of the front of my mind, but I couldn't place who it was. Uh, Red Man from Method Man and Red Man. Uh, did an MTV's Cribs where he had a Dreamcast, but his apartment was... I don't want to say it was shit, but it was shit for someone who you th- would be on MTV Cribs. And years later, they did a follow-up, and he still had it. Like, Yeah, met, <laughs> it, was met, it was Method Man, right? Or was it Red Man, he said? I think it was Red Man. Honestly, I can't... That I was know. another I, name I, I don't was know my trying Method to remember, from my but it was escaping yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's another name that was escaping me that I was trying to remember when it came to uh, uh, rappers who uh, liked the Dreamcast. But it definitely wasn't just Fred Durst. No, and um, I, I know you mentioned uh, when you got your console years later, it came with some sports games. I mean, as time goes on, sports games become less and less important or relevant to a console. I mean, as evidenced when I unboxed that Sega Genesis earlier and I had all these sports games... Like now, those are kind of like, like undesirable games. But at the time, 
they're really system sellers. And with the Dreamcast, the big deal was that NFL 2K was online. And um, it was. on our on our Sega Talk Xbox episode where we ran through that uh, internal document from a SegaNet and um, Microsoft meeting about SegaNet, one of the things they brought up is that um, you don't need to push a ton, a ton of online games. Um, you just need like one really good one, like PSO, and like a sports game. And uh, thankfully, Sega, you know, they went above and beyond, and they had many more than just two. But it just goes to show you how important it was to at least have one sports game. And in the case of the Dreamcast, online gameplay, which really became moving forward, like you would never see in. 2020 or 2021 a sports game come out that didn't have online play if it didn't have it you might as well not release it and that's a good I, yeah. yeah and i think console makers too they realize that there is uh, uh within the um you know rap and hip-hop community there is this tendency to want to play the latest sports games so if you already have built-in pitchmen there to promote your stuff Probably for free as long as you're giving them the latest console and all the accessories. And what what's that to you? Like a couple hundred bucks for some publicity? Have them show up and be like, yeah, we'll give you Dreamcast games for life. <laughs> Little did they know that they were going to get it for like a year. Um, so Honestly, I remember like it, it wasn't just the Dreamcast. Like there was a lot of rappers over the years who really loved pretty much. Uh, they, they also loved the Genesis. Like e- even years later, I, I used to listen to this obscure rapper from uh, England named Lady Sovereign. And I remember she did a song called Those Were the Days, where she reminisces about stuff from her youth. And one of the things she brought up was playing Mortal Kombat on the Sega. I mm-hmm. assume she means Mega Drive. <laughs> yeah, that's always strange when they just use the, the blanket Sega and then you have to like play the game of what year was this? What, what game could it possibly be? Um, right, because Saturn and all the Saturn, con- all the Sega consoles except the Master System had a Mortal Kombat game, didn't they? Even the Game Gear had some. <laughs> that is true. Um, so, what would your sixth pick be in this ten count up? Count up. Mm, like I said, I don't have that many memories. But I do want to talk a bit about the commercials for the Dreamcast, especially the early ones. Yes. Uh, I don't know if there's a particular name for these, but there's the uh, uh, most of us know the ones where you where you look inside the Dreamcast and you see right. all the characters just doing their thing inside. That was those are still my favorite game commercials of all time. Nothing's topped that, at least as far as TV commercials. Uh, the only yeah. thing that's ever come closest would be that Sonic Mania trailer where they they parodied the the uh, the Genesis commercial where a salesman is trying to sell a guy in first person on the Super Nintendo and they just get more and more enamored with the with the Genesis and buy that instead. So they yeah. did that, but with with Sonic Mania, those were really epic commercials just because. Not only did they like do this cool thing where they take you inside the Dreamcast, but they would show you characters from games who you might not be seeing for months, if not years. I know um, the Floygan brothers appeared in some of the earliest ads, 
The Floygan Brothers did not release until the end of the console. So you're getting a yeah. look at characters in 1999 who you will not be seeing until 2001. Um, and I actually here, let me do a little screen share. Now, sharing videos here, it the audio is cool. Sometimes the video can be a little stuttery. Um, but let's just take a look yeah. at the intro to one of these commercials. So we're flying inside the Dreamcast. We're seeing all these crazy characters inside. I know this one already. And then the guy's looking inside doing like the uh, DreamWorks face with the arched eyebrow. And then, <laughs> and then Tails gets told to shut up by a basketball player. So, you know, it's... He calls him a quadruped, which a quadruped. I didn't know what that meant at the time. But knowing what it means now, if you don't know, quadruped is a uh, a word for a creature that has to walk on all four legs, which Tails doesn't need to do that. A real well, fox he does, needs to he do doesn't that, but not know. Tails. Yeah, but yeah, those are just those are classic, classic commercials. And I'm going to bring it even further back. So for my seventh pick, I am going to talk about the Dreamcast launch commercial and how fitting too we were talking about the matrix trailer matrix 4 coming out today this ad is so matrixy um i don't know if you've ever seen this but let's just kick it right off here we'll be up in the little corner uh like japanese television commentating on it so here we go So we've got this woman hiding on the ceiling who has PlayStation controller uh, on her arm. So she's clearly working for Sony and she's breaking into a like Dreamcast facility, running down a hallway. And you got the Sega swirls all over the walls. She jumps out into the city. I guess it's Japan. Who knows? Um... And she's being chased by, like, I guess, drones, security cameras, police officers, whatever. And she's being tracked by a bunch of dudes. Um, and then, wow, an airplane smashes into a radio antenna, which is something... Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's wild. And this whole ad, it's a minute and a half long. Now we've got, like, a Fast and Furious kid cruising down the street in his car. He almost hits this woman on her motorcycle. No, he hits her. And then she <laughs> smashes onto a cop car, drops her Dreamcast, the cops get her, and then inside is Sonic the Hedgehog and all the characters who were working from inside the Dreamcast uh, to arrest this woman. And... You know, like I said, this was the launch trailer, so this is really what kicked off that whole series of ads that you talked about. Um, right. I remember, I still remember that whole commercial, and most of these commercials, I recall, I was watching, I saw them on Fox when I was watching new episodes of, like, Simpsons and King of the Hill. And uh, even though this particular commercial is not part of the commercials we're talking about, I remember mm -hmm. one time I was videotaping The Simpsons, and I had to stop the tape whenever the commercials came up, 
and on one of the commercial breaks, the first, the immediate first commercial was a commercial for Shenmue. It was the, you know, there's a voice uh, that's pretending to be Ryo Hazuki. My name is Ryo Hazuki. My I father was yeah. killed by Lon D. I have to, I have to find out who killed him while playing billiards and managing my association with Nozomi. And then it cuts to a guy in a mental ward. Yeah. And he's like, if you let me go, I wish to resume my journey. It's like he's, he clearly doesn't realize who he is. So as soon as I, as soon as that commercial came up and I realized it was Shenmue, I didn't stop the tape. I just let it keep going because I wanted to record that commercial. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, like, I... I remember that one too, and it was it was very in line with kind of the Sega of America ads at the time. Um, yeah, they were they still did, using the Sega screen from the they Genesis were. years. That's right. Yeah, they were using that well into the Dreamcast. I, I think they used it for everything from the Genesis through to the Dreamcast. Um, and yeah, it was just it was a fantastic series of ads. I don't think it's ever been in my opinion, topped. I love the idea. Like, it's so... It makes so much sense. It's... The the Dreamcast inside contains all of your favorite characters and games. Here they are all together, and you get to see these just, right. like, great ads of them all interacting. You get cameos. It's honestly some of the greatest, like, video game crossovers you're going to get until, you know... I have the poster behind it me was where the, Ralph came out. Yeah, it was the Dreamcast family, right? right. And, like, um, I... Even if you like weren't into Sega, like you probably recognize a character or two. Like I remember Rayman, some of, mm-hmm. in some of those commercials, people might have remembered Rayman from like the PlayStation, or like the Nintendo sixty four if they played Rayman too. And so you know that Rayman is going to be on the on the Dreamcast at least Rayman two anyway. And then you not only that, but you have these characters interacting with real sports athletes. So right. So like it was it was really cool seeing them all come together like that. I, and I wish they did that for like uh the remainder of the Dreamcast life until they but like eventually they switched to more uh traditional commercials like the Shenmue one even though I still right. love those too. That kind of happened I think with the um uh packaging change to the black labels. I feel like there was a whole marketing shakeup because they were losing ground. And I, I mean, I've worked in marketing for, for, geez, well over a decade now. And I know full well that when, as soon as you see the numbers slipping, you have to react fast or you're going to lose. And that more makes often sense. than not, I never thought of that. Yeah. And more often than not, when we pivot in marketing, we see, if, if we have the right people on our team, we see results. Um, so, you know, I, I don't blame them for what they did. It would have been cool to have like, have it carry through the whole console life and like have a final um, it's thinking commercial inside just like how uh, Sega Tassanchiro carried through the life of the Saturn and we got that epic finale video of him saving Sega to save the Dreamcast but killing himself and then years later he comes back with his son um, well, so moving down mention... moving up down oh, sorry. <laughs> I want to hear your 8th pick uh, jeez. Um, let me see if I could scrape the bottom of the <laughs> barrel of my mind for something, because I'm trying to think of stuff from like when the commercial, when the when the Dreamcast was still commercially relevant. How about a game? Um, Give me a game. 
All right, you know what? The fighting games. Yes. Because, uh, like, I'm... I, even though I didn't have a Dreamcast, all my gamer friends had one. At least the hardcore gamers, they all had one. And you know what they loved most about it? Uh, all except for one of them, I guess, is they loved the fighting games, especially mm-hmm. the Capcom ones. Yeah. They played Marvel versus Capcom 1 and 2. They played... Um, what else did they play? Actually, I think it was just those two. Those were the ones everyone was hyped for. Maybe uh, one, maybe a few of them played Soul Calibur, but it wasn't mm-hmm. really that popular among my my personal circle of friends as you might think it was. Right. So like that's what that's what we all knew the Dreamcast for at at the time was like fighting games. Street Fighter Alpha Three, that was another one I was trying to remember they played. Yes. So yeah, yeah. Street Fighter and Marvel versus Capcom. That's what everyone knew. That's what everyone knew. And there were some so I, fantastic fighters at launch. You had, I believe, I believe Dead or Alive Two was a launch title. Um, it there was. There was, uh, was um, so Power was Stone versus Capcom. Yeah. I'm so, actually looking at the um, the magazine here. So they went over the uh, the games that it launched with. It actually also launched with King of Fighters Dream Match '99. Which is actually a port of the King of Fighters '98, mm-hmm. which is one of the fan favorite King of Fighters games anyway. And I know people particularly love the Dreamcast version of it. Uh, it launched with Power Stone. That was the other one everyone was playing. I almost forgot about that. Yeah, I love Power Stone. Um, if I, I mean, honestly, if you were to tell me. You know, you can only have one Dreamcast game to play for a week, and you can play with your friends. That's the only rule. Power Stone 2, hands down, would be the game I would pick, because I have spent so many, like, memorable hours with, with three other friends playing the four-player. Um, we would always One of us would have a uh, completed save file, so you would get all the maps. My favorite map was actually, it, it was just a cube level. It was just a bunch of cubes. But there was so much, like, to... It sounds stupid now, but, like, it was just so fun to, like, go up on top of the cubes and go down below. There was just all these little levels. And I guess the best comparison I could make was um, with how, like, Smash Brothers fans will love a, a map just because it, it works so well to make a fun fighting environment. It might not be the most exciting, like, location, but just the layout works so well. Um yeah, I mean, we yeah. Smash Brothers fans do have stages like that. We've always loved Tyrell Temple since Melee, for one. Mm-hmm. So, Power Stone, I know there's a few stages. I can't remember much about them off the top of my head because I never got to play the first Power Stone right. very much. I've mostly been able to play Power Stone 2 because that one I'd actually seen in arcades a few times. And uh, I think one of my friends had Power Stone too, as well. So that, yeah, I'm. I think I only got to play Power the first Power Stone, like two or three times, because only, uh, yeah, my friends had that. Only one of them I ever got to play that game with. Nice. Well, I think fighting games is an apt pick too, because the next Sega Talk podcast will be covering Marvel vs. Capcom two. George is going to be the host. Oh. We are actually uh, putting the call out for memories right now on our Patreon. So if you're a Patreon supporter at any level, you can have your memories read at the end. 
And so I'm looking forward to doing that one because it's a game I own, but it's not a game I'm very well versed in, like the history of. Um, and I'm I'm looking forward to diving in with that with George. So am I. Uh, yeah, so that'll be fun. And well, then I now mean, for... I won't be there, but I'm looking forward to listening. <laughs> it's to gonna it. be a fun one. I always like the ones where we skip the first game and we just move on to the sequel. Um, says a lot about. How... I mean, yeah. The second one is easily the more notable of the two. Absolutely. I, I do personally love the first one, but like there was a lot more going on to the second one. Plus, yeah. it was made for Sega hardware, whereas uh, the first one, that was a port from the Capcom Play System 2 system. Marvel vs. Capcom 2 was made for Naomi, which itself is based on Dreamcast hardware. Right. Yeah, and so my ninth pick is kind of a weird one. So we are going to be talking about a demo disc, uh, but not just any demo disc. We're talking about the generator, and I'm doing this uh, a little old school. So we're taking a look at the Sega Retro page here. I don't know how I can do this that so it can like look good. But um, basically what you can see here is the uh, demo disc artwork. And this is the disc that shipped with the Dreamcast. And so most everyone had this one. It had, uh, there we go, we can see a beautiful picture of it here. It had Ready to Rumble Boxing, Power Stone, Monaco Grand Prix, House of the Dead 2, Sonic Adventure, Sega Bass Fishing, Champ Car Racing, Flag to Flag, and more. And I believe, oh wait, no, I didn't have this one. I no. My Dreamcast came with the second volume. That's right. Dreamcast Generator. That's right. I remember because that one had, that one also had Sonic Adventure, but it had one of the Tomb Raider games on it as well, and I think that's, Rayman Two. That's absolutely right. Yeah, the so the Dreamcast Generator Volume Two did come later in the console's life, towards the end. Um, so they did at least manage to eke out two of them. Um, but this one, I, I feel like, kind of stands above that second one just because of the the games that are included. For me, too, I always kind of treated this as my copy of some of these games that I didn't end up ever owning. So, like, if I wanted to play it, get a taste of the game, but not play the whole thing, obviously that's what a dem- demo's for. But for some of these games, it gave me enough of a taste, and I was like, I'm good. I don't need to... And I guess that's kind of a demo failing to do what it needs to do, is to sell you on the game. I always found, though, Ready to Rumble Boxing, I was so amazed by the like jiggly fat and muscles of the boxers like it would kind of move on their their bones it was really re- kind of impressive i remember that too i played a demo of that in stores on dreamcast before and um i don't have it on dreamcast but i actually had the uh, the nintendo 64 version of ready to rumble round two growing mm-hmm. up and even that version, even the Nintendo 64, I remember that looking really impressive for its time. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, demo discs. Demo discs are awesome. Dreamcast Magazine had demo discs. It had, man, I want to say like eight or nine of them. But it always gets confusing because, and maybe I'll cover, <laughs> I don't want to get too into demo discs. I could talk about demo discs all day. Um the Generator 1 and 2 did not actually lead into the Dreamcast Magazine demo discs. Dreamcast Magazine never really had a Volume 1. Their Volume 1 was actually a disc that you would use on your comp- your home computer. 
and it would have just video clips. I believe I own it. But then after that, oh. they did they did their their own volume two, which was a playable disc, and then it went three, four, five, six. And the last issue of Official Dreamcast magazine, which had Spider-Man on the cover, did not come with a demo disc, but it did come with a letter telling you demo discs were no longer being included, but they were going to look at new ways to include them, and then the magazine folded. So, um, interesting uh, moment. And honestly, it was kind of the end of demo discs after that. PlayStation 2 had their, I guess, fair share. But after that generation, demo discs kind of went away. I don't really remember PlayStation 3 or um, definitely not 4 PlayStation 3, them. believe it or not, actually ha- did have a few demo discs. Mm-hmm. But I mean like a very, very few. Like I think there was a Gran Turismo Prologue demo disc at one point. You could download it, but there was also a disc. And uh, Netflix actually had demo discs for both the PlayStation 3, or not not even demos, like Netflix actually sent out discs to subscribers for both PS3 and Wii with hmm. their own Netflix app that you could use because they and uh, because they actually needed some more time to prepare a version that you could download. That's interesting. And then when the download version came up, I believe it was an improved version, so they wouldn't allow you to actually use the discs anymore. I might hmm. still have my PS3 Netflix disc, actually. That would Somewhere. be. I have to look into that. Um, so let's round out our top ten. Give us. I'm, I'm going to set you up here. I'm going to. I'm not just going to say. Actually, pick it, pick I do have, oh, you one do have one thing okay, that I was just thinking about earlier. This is your number so, ten. Um, this is it. Yeah, my num. This is it. <laughs> this is it. This is it. So when I finally got my Dreamcast, that's when I started going crazy uh, buying the games. Because uh, uh, the, at the time, remember, this is 2009 when I got my Dreamcast. The, uh, there were a lot of games that were really, really cheap during that time. And I remember even Yahoo News, they did an article I saw once that, um, that was talking about how a, a lot of people who were were uh, were gaming on the cheap by getting old games, and they mm-hmm. highlighted Dreamcast because uh, this was right after the uh, the economic crisis that George W. Bush left us with, and they were mentioning that uh, a lot of people were getting Dreamcasts and they were getting a lot of uh, Dreamcast games, uh, including people who uh, didn't actually have the Dreamcast when it was still new. They were getting into that and actually discovering the games at the time. And so that's what I was doing because, like, this was my chance to finally see what I was missing out on way back then when the hype was real. So, like, I remember one of the first games I got was Skies of Arcadia, which I got complete on Amazon for about 60 bucks. And I was so enraptured with that game, I was playing it, like, almost eight hours a day. It was Mm. crazy. And when I eventually beat it, I loved the. I re. I was like compelled to go online immediately and buy the uh, buy the GameCube version of the game. So I have both versions. And like I was on Amazon all the time, just scooping up whatever Dreamcast games I could find. Mm-hmm. I was getting games that I'd never even heard of back then, like like Out Trigger and Sports Jam, just because I thought. 
like I thought it was so cool that Sega made a uh, an online shooter, an online yeah. first person, not first person, third person shooter, and I had no idea. I had no idea. No one I knew had that game. No one talked about it. I thought it was amazingly cool, though, when I saw yeah. it. And then Sports Jam. I liked that one, too. I was especially amazed to find out that and OutTrigger were uh, actually arcade games. I don't know if the arcade versions came out in the U.S. Probably not. But, like, yeah. And then that was also when I was finding out that there was actually an indie scene surrounding the Dreamcast. Mm-hmm. So... Nowadays, you see this all the time where people make new games for retired game consoles. There's uh, there's like five on the top of my head that are on Kickstarter right now, actually. Uh, none of them are Dreamcast games, though. But that was when uh, a game called Wind & Water Puzzle Battles came out. I love that game. I do, too. Uh, I bought that game straight away as soon as I found out about it. And then uh, I... There were, I found out there were a couple that came out before that. I didn't really get any of those because they weren't available at the time. But like in the years since, if I found out there was a, a Dreamcast game, a new one coming out, no matter what it was, I would see if it looked interesting and I would buy it. Even when, uh, even when we started seeing games that were just Neo Geo ports, like Breakers mm. and uh, Gone Ryu. Because I'm actually a Neo Geo fan as well, so I saw no problem just getting those as soon as I could. So, like, at the time, there was like, this gold mine of Dreamcast software to discover. Mm -hmm. And, like, of course, I got a couple of the games that I knew that I'd known about for years, like Shenmue. I got that at one point. And, um, yeah, that, that was, uh, like, that's one of my favorite things about collecting retro games is uh, the, the discovery aspect of all this. And not to mention, like, I was 19 years old at the time, in 2009. And this was only a few years after I'd gotten my first job and started making my own income. Because I didn't, I didn't actually really make any money after, um, before that. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I realized was back then was like, whoa, wait a minute. I can, I can go online and buy games from my old game systems that I didn't have. So I could do that, and and I could, like, discover games that I'd missed out on back then that I'd never really forgotten about and, like, finally have my chance to play them. And, like, I, I knew you could emulate them, too. I'd emulated a few Dreamcast games before this, but mm -hmm. th there was always something special about just actually getting the games. Uh, not to mention... If I actually go out of my way to pay money for a game, even if I don't pay that much, yeah, I'm more compelled to actually play the game than if I were to download the game. Because I find when you do that, yeah. you don't appreciate the game all as well. Because getting it is too easy. It's hard right. to appreciate something that's on there, tap, right? Yeah, there. I mean, I... I many times with those older consoles, I, I just open a folder and I have the whole library of ROMs. And to have everything there to pick from sounds great, but sometimes just to have it all there kind of makes them lose their uniqueness, their specialness, um, just because you're not either being restricted to your own library, so you're kind of forcing yourself to play a game a little bit more and appreciate it more because you either spent a, a bit of money on it or because 
you know, you, you might as well try it. It's or like, or like, even if you didn't spend money, like if you won it in a contest or if, if a friend gave it to you, right? Like you have to do something to get it, right? You, you have to jump through some kind of hoop, right? Because then there you're, is... you're going to make time for that game. Right, and and the graphic designer in me too always finds that there's a level of uh, experience in holding the box art, uh, looking through the manual, which, I mean, manuals don't really exist anymore. Um, but like, for example, I mean, it's not Dreamcast, but here I have Maximum Carnage. If you just play the ROM of this, you know, that is what it is. But picking this up, you're like, oh, it's like getting a brand new comic book. This is cool. Look at that art. You open it up. Oh, check this out. Red. This looks so cool. It's a red uh, <laughs> Sega Genesis cartridge. Red game cartridge. Exactly. Yeah. And then you go, oh, cool. There's like a poster. And then you get the instruction manual. And you're like, all right, let's see what this is all about. This is cool. So, But you don't you lose all of that when you're just playing a, an, you know, something on your like Dream Pie or emulated. Nothing wrong with doing that. But there's always something special about you know having the real thing. And... Uh, for me, I've kept my li- my game library relatively small. I'm not a completionist. I mean, I showed that picture at the beginning here of my library. It's a little over half of the American um, Dreamcast library there that I own. Um, Whoa. But Almost dropped something. Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Um, yeah. So, you know, it is what it is, but... I, I'm a person yeah. who really enjoys, um, you know, all those things. So, And uh, another funny thing I almost forgot to bring up. Uh, when I was getting Dreamcast games back then, like it was super easy to find uh, sealed games all the time that mm-hmm. were dirt cheap. Yep. All kinds of games. I think... I think um, I think my copy of OutTrigger that I bought was actually a sealed game. Mm-hmm. And then... If really, here's a really funny story for you. Uh, for like a, almost a decade, ever since then, I had people like practically giving me sealed copies of Choo Choo Rocket and Space Channel Five. <laughs> right. And I had a hard time giving those away. Right. For a long time, they might. This might even still be true to it. Probably not. Actually, we're in post-pandemic mm-hmm. years. But for the longest time, I remember it was super easy to get a sealed copy of either of those games for fifteen bucks or less. And I went to a lot of local retro game swap meets, and I brought many of those copies of Choo Choo Rocket and Space Channel Five with me, trying mm-hmm. to sell them off. <laughs> Most of the time, nobody wanted them. Yep. And it's not like it's not because nobody liked the games, like. These are two of the first games you might think of when you think the Dreamcast's greatest hits. Right. But, like, they're everywhere. So, like, everyone's probably already got them at that point. So, like, even for, like, less than 10 bucks, it's a hard sell for someone. Absolutely. And I was only finally able to offload those games in 2019. <laughs> and, it, and it's a good thing I did because there were no swap meets last year, obviously. Right. Right. Well, you know, the the collecting scene definitely has changed, but um, 
you know, the Dreamcast. Yeah, good luck finding a Dreamcast <laughs> game for a reasonable price on Amazon today. Exactly. But, you know, we, we have we have what we had. We have our memories. And I um, just really want to thank you for coming on to share your memories of the Sega Dreamcast. It was fun running through kind of a, a I don't know, it wasn't a top ten. It was just a ten. You know, there were ten things. And um, I mean, it was a lot of been, fun. People have been talking. To, yeah, I'm. I'm really thankful that you invited me here too. It, it was. It's great just uh, whizzing on a, on the Dreamcast every every anniversary. Mm-hmm. It, it's like the great. It's the greatest console to ever get less than it really deserved, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, and I I and try we, to do. I've years 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 ago I would do live streams. I haven't done much for the Dreamcast on the anniversary outside of like touching the console and being like happy birthday. Uh but at least this year yeah. I wanted I wanted to commemorate it somehow. So again, thank you so much for coming on. Um where again people can follow you. What's your Twitter handle? Let's throw that out there. Um well, you're not going to see much activity there, <laughs> but my Twitter my Twitter handle for the Elk Plates and Paints channel Mm-hmm. is at elk pnp because uh i tried to write elk plays and paints but i ran out of space uh i'm i'm gonna admit i'm lazy with social media except for discord so you're not gonna see me post there if you're in the sega bits discord you'll see me around i'm big elk over there nice yeah so yeah and sega bits discord you can find the link on SegaBits.com. we have a pop a little box up in the corner Join us over there. It's a lot of fun to chat uh, live with like-minded or unlike-minded Sega fans. We try to keep things civil in our disagreements. Um, But I think one thing we can all agree on is that the Sega Dreamcast, fantastic console. Happy 22 years. So as we close things out, we're going to play some outro music. This is from the I Have a Dreamcast EP, LP? Anyway, it was a recording done... Um, on, I believe, the ninth anniversary of the Dreamcast. Um, it was in a very limited print run. Gaga Man knows all about it. It's something we kind of connected on. I, I think it's probably the one of the first times I actually met him. Um, so as that plays over the outro, I invite people in the comments section, leave your Dreamcast memories. I'll throw them up on the screen as they come in. Um, so again... Thank you for watching or listening. You can check us out at segabits.com and also patreon.com slash segabits. Uh, again, we have Marvel vs. Capcom 2 coming up on Sega Talk next week. And in two weeks, uh, I might do another one of these. I've been doing these every other week on Thursday nights at 9 p.m. Central. So stay tuned to see when the next live show is. Uh, again, Elk, thank you so much for joining me. And to all of you, I don't know, keep the dream alive. Bye. Good night, everybody. Just sit down.
sort of tragic kind. It was a short 18 months, but it was great. All the nights I stayed up late in a power stone rage. A res replay. Code Veronica was my date. Channel 5